Hey everybody, glad to have you with us for this edition of Moving Up the Ladder on LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma, and today we're going to be speaking with an individual who has worked as an engineer at Microsoft, is an entrepreneur herself, and completes marathons, triathlons, the Ironman competition like it's nothing. Oh yeah, and I also mentioned she happens to be blind as well. So, for you listening out there, what have you been doing with your time? Anyway, our guest today is Patricia Walsh, and we're happy to have her on with us. She's also written a book as well called Blind Ambition, How to Envision Your Limitless Potential and Achieve the Success You Want. Patricia, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here and always excited to help your listeners achieve to their highest potential. Definitely appreciate that. And it's a pleasure to have you on. And I mentioned a little bit about yourself there, but I wanted to ask about the book, first of all. What really was your motivation and what is your goal as far as writing this book and what it might offer to people? My goal is really to meet those people who who don't feel like they relate to the idea of the big, hairy, audacious goals. Like we're inundated with that type of information. And when I would go speak, I would speak to all sorts of audiences and then from kindergartners to CEOs, Mm -hmm. you know, really wide breadth of, of individuals. And the common questions I was asked, first of all, all ages would ask me, how do you maintain drive? because I have taken on quite a bit and been relatively successful in my endeavors. And that was something that I was asked very often. And the other thing that people would ask me is, what about me? What about someone who's not going to do an Ironman or someone who doesn't aspire to win a world record? Right. To those people, I always wanted to really reassure them that external validation doesn't matter. What matters is that you're aspiring to achieve something that means something to you. And that could mean climbing the ladder. That could mean pursuing a hobby. That could mean whatever, something that would be impactful and improve your own quality of life and your own ability to provide for your family or for whatever it is that you're aspiring to be that higher level person. Well, and it's pretty clear why you would be an inspiration for people and why you are a sought after speaker. To touch on your path a little bit, you lost your sight completely when you were 14. And I had seen a blurb talking about, you know, there's a little bit of depression and feeling of hopelessness and and who, who could blame you at that stage. What was it that turned it around for you or got you motivated to start on that path to the incredible success that you found now in your adult years? Yeah, it was really a matter of opportunity for incremental victories. And I think there, I was on a pretty downward spiral there for, for several years mm-hmm. and um, lots of poor health choices, really a lack of a feeling of capability, which then led me to some other poor choices. And when I was about 18 or 19, I smoked about a pack and a half a day, really had not done any athletics because I didn't understand a person with blindness could do any athletics, was struggling in school, struggling in all my endeavors. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't my health, but it was my father's health that really was my wake-up call. Hmm. I was about 19 and, and following in his footsteps, and he started. He had two strokes and two heart attacks in about a year. And I realized that I was on that same track. So I kind of, although my education had suffered, I think I had common sense enough to realize that if you're on that same track, that's going to be your same fate also. So I started just trying to make these small, small changes, you know, my first accomplishment was really just getting out and running one mile. And it wasn't a fast mile. It wasn't exciting to anyone but me. Didn't get in the newspaper, but I was able to run one mile. And that was a good sort of incremental victory that set me up to feel more capable to then take on bigger and, you know, ever increasing goals until I got my world record in the Ironman distance triathlon. So of course it increased quite a bit. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I got, I did Ironman on a dare. That was a little bit of a, that was a leap of faith for sure. <laughs> I didn't know what it was when I entered. At that point I had done, I'd worked up from running one mile to running full length marathons regularly. I think I'd done 12 marathons and a friend of mine asked me if I'd ever considered doing Ironman and I didn't even know what it was, but I signed up for it on a charity slot on the spot. 
And then I realized I had to learn to swim and how to bike. <laughs> but I've never done any of those things. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, that's the intriguing part of a lot of this, uh, Patricia, is that obviously you've had a ton of success both personally and within your career, but it really seems like the most pride you take is with the athletic side of the competitions, the various marathons you've competed in, as you mentioned, the Ironman a couple times, four straight national championships in the para-athlete triathlon. Why so much pride on the athletic side when, you know, there are other areas others might say, hey, you should you should look to this. You should use this as motivation. Why the athletic side that you love so much? I think I put so much heart and soul into my athletics. And I think right now my current kind of highest level aspiration is to not only represent my country in 2016, but to really change the way that athletes with disabilities are perceived. Mm-hmm. And I would love it. Right now, when I tell people I'm an athlete, they say, oh, that's really adorable. And I don't think they realize that I'm actually like a really serious athlete. Right. I would love it if I could be that catalyst for change in that athletic industry. With regard to my career, I'm extremely proud of what I've accomplished. And I, I personally really love the fact that my blindness in the workplace is a non-issue. I love the fact that my results speak for themselves and that I'm a high achiever by any standard. And it's something that I take tremendous pride in. It's just a, it's a little bit more challenging to quantify mm-hmm. and explain, but I'm extremely proud that first and foremost hasn't held me back and that I have been able to create those opportunities for myself to achieve both at Microsoft and then later at a company called Mazito, which actually worked out today. I'm standing outside the office, <laughs> but tomorrow is my last day <laughs> because I'm pursuing the book and public speaking full time. So. Sure, sure. Makes, uh, makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing with Microsoft, obviously anybody sees that on a resume or as part of someone's career, I think automatically they're impressed by that. I also find it though interesting for yourself that being an engineer as a female is already, I don't want to say a disadvantage, but obviously not something that's common, maybe becoming a Mm -hmm. little more common. And then you throw in obviously the blindness factor of which, you know, you say doesn't really have a consideration. What challenges were you facing though when going into that field and getting the job there at Microsoft? At Microsoft, it was Things have changed. I've been in the industry about 10 years. And I think at the time, the idea of embracing females in engineering was sort of a new idea and then more or less persons with disabilities. Sure. So I think managing the perception, and it's something I talk about a lot in my book, is that people come to the table with their understanding of your limitations. And it's your job to be sort of a respectful educator in helping them better understand what your real limitations are. Hmm. For me, it's helping them understand what tools am I going to use? How am I going to solve my problems? How am I coming to the table and not allowing them to create those limiters for you where you have solutions? But it also, it takes a lot of awareness and a lot of willingness to kind of deal with issues at their root and kind of instigate those conversations. I will say this, Microsoft did not know I was blind when they hired me. I am pretty at looking, <laughs> I want to say normal. I don't know the right way to say it. I don't necessarily advocate that. I just know that in hindsight, it's just kind of a point of interest because I have had a lot of people question me about if it was an affirmative action hire and they had no idea I was blind. So they got in way over the head. But <laughs> I was very proud that my results spoke for themselves once I got it in. Yeah, that is definitely interesting. I mean, the, that aspect of yeah, it. And I'm sure some it people... a lot. <laughs> and like you said, though, you know, some people might look at it, you know, same thing in the case just of being female or minority that, you know, oh, well, you mm-hmm. were hired in part because you had this, uh, you know, sort of, they had this quota to fill. Yeah. I hear that a lot. And I am not a believer. I don't believe that, I certainly don't believe that impacted me, but I don't think that for the people who I know who are either of minority 
or of disability have earned the spots that they have, you know? And honestly, if you couldn't hold your own, there's nothing saying that they would keep you. Right. One thing that I was extremely proud of um, in 2007, I was featured on an article on uh, women in science and engineering through National Public Radio, and also received a gold star award at Microsoft for, uh, I had noticed a a very relatively simple, straightforward rounding error, but I was able to check in the code, make that correction, and save the company about $40,000 a month. Nice. So I did... I did receive an award for that and something I'm very proud of. And again, something that I'm, I don't feel like my vision played into that. It's, it's remarkable to me how, how often people think it was some sort of sympathy or some sort of want to compensate. But actually, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. And that, that is something I have to admit, I do take a lot of pride in and, and work very hard for that. And that is unfortunate that people have those thoughts. Uh, and on, as you said, you're looking to kind of make that change in perspective. Maybe not just there specifically, but as you said earlier, that people have these certain restrictions they believe that you have that uh, yeah. clearly haven't been the case for you. <laughs> well, and I think that I, the one thing I really try to, to make the case in my book is that that's not specific to me as a female in engineering or to me as a woman with blindness. I think we all have those moments. I think there's a little bit of universal truth in that experience where everyone has the perception of their limitations. And what I speak to is that no one knows your limitations more than you do. To follow no one can help you more than you can help yourself. And that's true for everybody. Something I feel strongly that we all can create opportunities for ourselves and we all can hold our own if we set that goal and really map our life according to seeing that success. Right. Well, let's jump into the book a little bit for obvious reasons. People I'm sure will be interested in hearing your side of things and a little bit of the path that you created and how others could possibly follow those steps. And really the heart of it is the hierarchy of goals that you have listed in there, blaze, fire, and fuel. And I thought we could just briefly break down those a little bit, not get into necessarily too much detail because we want people to get the book, but let's start at the top (laughs) of that hierarchy, which you labeled blaze. How would you describe that? I would describe that as being your opportunity to map your day-to-day tasks to something you honest to God care about. And and the reason I came up with this hierarchy is from all my public speaking, a wide breadth of audiences, everyone kept asking me, how do you maintain drive? Because it is horribly grueling sometimes. I have to get up at 4.30 in the morning. I go work out for three hours. Then I go to work and I work for eight hours. Then I come home and I work out more. And people are asking, well, how in the world are you doing this? And, and what I tell them is that every single day, every single workout or every single mundane task, if you don't have that map to something you honest to God care about, you won't be putting your heart into it. So for me, my blaze goal is to be the catalyst for change for how persons with disabilities are perceived, such that no one is surprised to see me do well or surprised to see me hold my own. And I'd like to be an example of that. I care so much about that and honestly care about it every day that if I map that to the fuel, which is your day-to-day task, the fire, which is the key milestones along the way, I can remember why I care so much and why I want to put my wholehearted effort into that particular activity, where otherwise it would be very easy to sort of coast through a workout or coast through a mundane task. Mm -hmm. If you very clearly see how it maps to something, to a change that you look to move the needle on, um, it makes it so much easier to put your your heart and soul and focused effort into that day-to-day. Well, then you touched on the the second part there of the hierarchy in fire. It It would be really hard, I think, to explain one without the other, since it really is a hierarchy in this fuel feeds the fire, which of course then feeds the blaze. So what I hope and and what I believe has helped me in all of this is really maintaining that focused drive and focused effort on the day-to-day tasks that otherwise you could sort of be a little haphazard with or be a little unmotivated because we all are in the grind and it does get a little routine and we get get bored. 
I do not love swimming six times a week, you know, for an hour and a half each time. I don't love it, but I love the fact that if I swim six times a week, 90 minutes per session, that I'm going to be a faster swimmer and better able to represent my country in 2016. So it's a matter of keeping those things tied together, but so that every single day, with every single swim stroke, I'm putting my whole heart and soul into making that change I want to see. Well, and again, for those that want to see more details on this and other aspects that Patricia brings up, you can, of course, look to get the book. It's Blind Ambition, How to Envision Your Limitless Potential and Achieve the Success You Want. I also wanted to ask here the mention of fear of failing for everybody when it comes to whatever they're doing. It could be in their career, could be in a sport, could be just in their personal lives. What role do you see the fear of failing playing in your life as well as in general when you're speaking to people? Well, I really appreciate you bringing that up because it's actually one of the key things I talk about. Um, and in, in, we have a chapter on core values. And one of the core values I like to speak to is a willingness to fail gracefully. And I think particularly with blindness, but with anybody, I'm often am the recipient of people who are discouraging with the intention of sparing you the hurt of failure or the mm. disappointment. And people will say, oh, well, I had a professor pull me aside and say, oh, well, you probably shouldn't be in computer science or electrical engineering. You should probably be in the humanities because you'll have greater success. Well, that guy didn't know me from anybody. He right. didn't know my capabilities or my aptitudes. He's making a decision based on my perceived limitations. And I think if I didn't have a willingness to fail gracefully and to say, you might be right, but I'm going to try. I'm going to prove to myself whether I'm capable or not. And um, I feel fearful all the time of failure. And I think everyone does. I think that's part of the human condition and honestly, if you're not feeling fear of failure, then you probably aren't taking on enough. You probably need to be taking on something a little bit more ambitious because I'm a big believer that we should be kind of ready to hit the wall at any moment and trying to put your best self forward. And that's going to mean getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. I've had some tremendous failures, but I've learned from all of them and uh, always landed on my feet at the end of the day. This will not kill you. I think that has been a huge opportunity for me to build confidence and build a sense of capability and uh, something that carries me forward every day. So for all those failures, as painful as they can be, I value every single one of them. Patricia, I think that's a great place to leave our listeners off today. We do appreciate you coming on the show, sharing some of your experience as well as some of your thoughts on what it takes to really be successful. And of course, if people are interested in finding your book, you can also look that up as well. So Patricia, thanks for coming on today. Yes, thank you. I really appreciate it. Once again, that's Patricia Walsh. If you want to find out more about her as well, you can go to blindambitionspeaking.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us about any of our shows, past or future, you can send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at the LJN. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.